Don't lose sight of truth just because of chaos. Here is the definition of a blessing. A blessing is anything that draws us closer to God. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. We're continuing our Jesus conversations in 2020, trying to learn how to dialogue in a culture who has lost its way. What an appropriate Sunday to be talking about what would Jesus say to Donald Trump. Not sure what your experience has been through this election cycle, but what if I told you that all the chaos, all the issues of our day, what if I told you that this election was actually a blessing? Would you buy that? Would you believe that? You say, how in the world can you call this a blessing? Well, write this down in your notes, write this definition, and don't lose sight of truth just because of chaos. Here is the definition of a blessing. A blessing is anything that draws us closer to God. So this can actually be a blessing. I pray, my prayer for our nation is that this will not just bring us back in unity, but it would actually be a blessing that we might return back to God, that we would be so humbled in the chaos and the devastation that God would get the glory. Well, regardless of your politics, Jesus would have a conversation with Jesus. And that conversation, as we listen in this morning, might be a little different than you anticipate. Maybe different than what you would articulate if you had a moment with the President of the United States. Remember, as we've looked into Scripture through this series, I've reminded us that as we see Jesus modeling these conversations in his ministry, they go a lot different than our conversations Jesus would study the person, he would know their story, and based on chapters in their story, Jesus would tie truth into that piece of their story. So as I've gone through each and every person, from LeBron James to Joe Biden to now Donald Trump, all we're doing is looking at their story and then tying truth through that conversation. Two things that Jesus would say to LeBron, to Joe Biden, and to Donald Trump that he says to you and me as declared in his word is, number one, you know it, I love you. Now, there's some people today that have a hard time loving either of the candidates. There are people who actually have hate in their hearts because of their political perspectives. The beautiful thing about the Lord Jesus, he loves us without condition. And he doesn't love us based just on our political platforms. He loves us. Look at this. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'm giving you a verse each week that relates to God's love. That he has spoken, not just to Donald Trump, but to you and me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, says this. By this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent his only Son into the world so that we may live through him. Now, this is amazing to me that a holy God would love us enough to send his only begotten Son. That's amazing in and of itself, but let me take it another step further. That's how God demonstrated his love, but it gets even more loving when you consider this. Not only did a holy God leave his throne in heaven and come to this wicked earth and take on the wicked consequences of my sin, your sin, but that very God died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, rose again, victorious over the grave and the consequences and penalty of sin, and desires to live in you. Is that not a loving God? Do you know how much we withdraw our love from other people 
We don't want them in our space. We don't want them in our dialogue. We don't want them in our world. We don't want them in our universe. And yet here is God who not only says, I'll die for you, but I'm willing to live in you. Have that relationship with unholy you, but I will change your life. I love you. Look at verse 10. For in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, the the payment, the, the, the payoff for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I could see him sitting down with Donald Trump and saying, Don, you got to know, man, I love you. How do you love somebody like me? Well, I demonstrated that love. But number two, I want you to know that love. I don't want you to just know about my love. I don't want you to just know John 3.16. I want you to know my love. I want it to be personal. It's a real relationship. I love you to the point of wanting relationship with you. I want to live in you and give you the power you've never had. But number three, look at verse 11. Not only does he want us to know his love, he wants us to make his love known in the world. He says, if you know my love... You need to then love one another. Don't just take it as a gift. Don't just hold it to yourself. But if you receive my love, you will be a lover of other people. Number two, Donald, I have a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, we've looked at it, and we know the truth of this passage. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And it has nothing to do with the things of this world. It's an eternal plan. Yes, he is engaged in the everyday issues of our life, but more importantly, he is concerned about all of eternity, an eternal plan for your life and for mine. Well, what else would Jesus say? Those are two things easily declared in scripture for all of his creation, but what else might he say to the unique story known as Donald Trump? Well, we all know this, that if life were a game, not the game of life, I grew up playing that game, of life, but what if it was Monopoly. What if this was real life Monopoly? We know that Donald Trump would always win. He has all the hotels. He has all the real estate. He owns it all. He would be king of this thing called life if it were Monopoly. When he became president of the United States four years ago, he took a serious downgrade in his housing situation. Can you imagine the White House being a downgrade? Let me tell you about some of Donald's real estate. He used to live in New York City there in uh, his Fifth Avenue Trump Tower. That Trump Tower floor he renovated into his home, and in that place he remodeled it to look just like the Palace of Versailles. It has all kinds of opulence. It's decked out with 24 karat gold accents throughout the whole property. He has all kinds of upgrades, hand-painted ceilings, diamond accents. The opulence of this particular just one level floor, this part of his tower, is estimated to be worth over $100 million. Downgrade going to the White House. Well, that wasn't his only pad. He left there, as you well know, you're probably more familiar with his Mars A. Lago uh, Palm Beach Palace. 20,000 square foot ballroom. Ballroom, not 20,000 square foot. 20,000 square foot ballroom. 17 acre property. His own private mansion that has hosted countless celebrities. A prime piece of real estate that he now calls his current home. This particular mansion 
worth $250 million. Well, not only does he have the place in New York, not only does he have a place in Florida, he also has a place in Bedford, New York. 60 rooms, two servant wings, 15 bedrooms, has, I believe, a 230-acre land estate with a bowling alley. Worth some serious, serious cash. He also has the Cluj Estate. That's found in Charlottesville, Virginia. 2,000-acre property. 23,000-square-foot mansion. And if he gets bored in all those mansions, he can always go to Rodeo Drive to his Beverly Hills six-bedroom shack. I could see Jesus sitting down with Donald over coffee and saying, Hey, Donald... Let's talk real estate. I've got mansions. Take a look at it. If you have your Bibles today, go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. You know this passage, but it's a powerful truth. Jesus speaking said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. The New American Standard calls it dwelling places. You want to talk about mansions? Let's talk about some eternal real estate. Let's talk about these mansions. The mansions I just spoke of that Donald Trump owns, he purchased with his own money. He has worked hard and acquired an estate, and he had to go buy those properties. And this real estate, this isn't something you can purchase. This isn't something you can buy. It's not something that you earn. For it says, these dwelling places, he goes on and says, For if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go and prepare the place for you. Jesus is the master builder, grew up in a carpenter's home. Not because he needed to learn how to build these mansions, but these mansions not built with brick and mortar, it's built with the blood of Jesus. Made available to you and me, not based on how much money we have and how much we can buy into heaven, but what Jesus has done for you. For he says in verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am... There you may be also. I wouldn't mind going and hanging out for a weekend at Mars Lago. That'd probably be a pretty neat experience. But I'm way more looking forward to all of eternity dwelling with my holy God and my Savior. Do you have? Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Do you have some prime real estate? Do you have an eternal property prepared for you by the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have that kind of peace? Donald? My real estate trumps yours. Number three, it gets real personal. Now, Jesus may be a little kinder than what I'm giving credit here, but I think he might go, according to Matthew 10, I think he might drop a Matthew 10, maybe just for a little bit of fun with Donald. Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. Another part of that conversation might say, hey, have you ever read Matthew chapter 10, Donald? Take a look at it, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Look at verse 30. Here's where it gets personal. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I could see Jesus with a little smile on his face saying, hey, Donald, it ain't about the hair. It ain't about the hair. Now, while he has become famous for the hairstyle, while I'm made for some serious, great fall festival costumes, While it is a distinctive of his person, I think Jesus would say, it ain't about the hair. Look at what it goes on to say. He says, for do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. 
Well, I don't have enough in my bank account, bank account even to cut Donald Trump's hair, according to the bill that comes out over that quaff. What I do know is this. We are more valuable to God than anything on this planet. And while he takes care of all things and has created all things, there is great value declared over you. It ain't about the hair. And if he can know everything about us, every hair on our head, for some that's no big deal. For Donald, that's a big, big deal. Matter of fact, it showed up even when he was young at age. I, I found his baby picture surfing this week, and you can see even at a young age, it was a challenge to know every hair on his head. But that's how intimate the Lord's knowledge is of us, how intimate his love is for each and every one of us. But back up a little bit. Back up to verse 28. Take a look at it. Verse 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Don't fear those who might try to steal your election. Don't fear those who are out to get you. Don't fear the fake news, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You can be worried about your hair all day long. You can be worried about your estate and your real estate all day long. You can be worried about what you're building up here on this earth. But he says you better be focused and you better have a bigger concern. And that is the issues of your soul. And so from there, he might transition in that conversation to say, and while we're at it, Donald, let me just tell you, it's good to be poor. It's good to be poor. Let me tell you where that's found in Scripture. Go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 5. Jesus sitting at this table with one of the wealthiest men on this planet. And yet he would take him into the truths of Scripture to show him where real wealth is found. It's not found in our estates. It's not found in our bank accounts and our 401ks. Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did God not choose a Democrat, a Republican, Help us with an independent. Let us meet in the middle. God doesn't choose through a political platform. God chooses the poor of this world to be rich in faith, to be heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Now, as we look at this truth, be very, very careful. If you read it literally, you would then have to assume there's not an American on this uh, continent that would be a part of the kingdom because... Relative to the rest of the world, we're extremely wealthy. From the uh, poorest, sometimes, of our nation to the richest. It's not speaking of our financial wealth. It's not talking about our personal estate. Don't draw the wrong conclusion. It doesn't mean you've got to be uh, basically without any kind of resources for God to love you and God to call you. And he only calls the poor of this world. Obviously, we know there are a lot of rich people in Scripture that were engaged in the kingdom. Abraham, probably one of the wealthiest men, if not the wealthiest man on the planet in his time. Job, extremely wealthy. David and Solomon, some of the wealthiest kings who ever ruled on this earth. Joseph of Arimathea, Zacchaeus. We can go on and on and on, and there were people with resources that were still part of the kingdom. So what is he talking about? Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Jesus gives us the definition. Who are these poor people that Jesus has called? What does it mean to be a part of his kingdom? Do you need to sell everything to get right with God? Look at what it says. 
Jesus speaking to the crowd said, blessed are the poor in their bank accounts. Poor in what? Spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was speaking of a personal poverty. He was speaking of the fact that we have to come to a point in our lives where we declare bankruptcy before a holy God. You see, before I heard the gospel preached, I was trying to build up an account for myself in heaven. I thought in my head, if I just quit doing the parties, if I just quit doing that, and I started going to church with you Baptist folk, God would be impressed. God would say, well done, you figured it out. Boy, you're doing a lot better than you used to do, Bill. Come on in, man. You finally cleaned it up. I used to think I had to be rich in my good works. And then I found out that my righteousness, what scripture say? Filthy rags. I had to come to the realization there wasn't anything inherently good. There was nothing of wealth or resource I could bring before a holy God and declare, here I am, take me in. No, I had to declare bankruptcy. God, I'm empty. God, I'm a sinner separated from you. I had to become poor in spirit that I might become rich through Christ Jesus. You don't have to turn here, but in Luke chapter 12, if you want to write it down in your notes, Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd trying to get some wisdom from Jesus said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family estate with me. He tried to get Jesus to interject into the family politics. More families have been destroyed over the settling of estates. When a matriarch or a patriarch passes, I've seen more families destroyed arguing on what's left behind. This guy asked Jesus for help and says, hey, we intervene. Make my brother split the estate fairly. Jesus gives some wisdom and he goes on and he says, hey, who's put me to be arbitrator over the estate? Why are you coming to me? He would go on and then he would give a parable. And he'd talk about a very rich landowner who had lots and lots of wealth. And he looked at him and said, man, I can't even contain all my wealth. I'm so wealthy. So what I need to do is tear down my old barns. I'm so prosperous, I need to build bigger and better barns. And he built all these barns. And he looked at the end and it was all full and he was all proud. And then he said, but it was the last day on earth for that man. What good are the barns now? What good is it to inherit all these things, to have financial security on this planet, but not have that security for all eternity? What good is it? It's a great question, isn't it? It speaks of perspective. It speaks of where we lay our trust. But listen to the last verse, verse 21. It says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I want you to write that down. Matter of fact, I'm going to challenge you to make that a prayer this week, is to pray and say, God, I'm not going to pray any longer. Help my 401k and pray over our physical riches. What if we prayed every day, God, help me to be rich towards you today? What if that was our prayer? What if that's what we pursued every day? Like Matthew 6.33 says to seek the kingdom. Instead of building this uh, estate called Trumpville, what if we built the kingdom of God every day? What if that was our focus, being rich towards God? What good is it to have full barns but empty hearts? What is it to have wealth in this lifetime 
but to be empty. And so Jesus would go on from there and say, Donald, while you've built some great wealth on this planet, only I can make you truly rich. That's the next thing Jesus would say, is only I can make you truly rich. I don't know what his current net worth is. Um, I know as he went into the uh, election four years ago, he was estimated to be worth, get this, $4.5 billion. Now you might be impressed with that, but don't be. That only put him on the Forbes billionaire list at number 324. Didn't quite get to the top, but hey, I don't mind being number 324. Do you? Could you live with that? Could you live on that meager estate? That's not rich. That isn't rich. He may have full barns, but that ain't rich. How do I know? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. If you're there, say, uh-huh. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. You want to talk about rich? The Lord Jesus. I thought he was a peasant carpenter, a, a son of a carpenter. I thought he grew up under me. He was glorious. He owns it all. He created it all, and all of it's for him. Nobody with greater wealth than the Lord. For though he was rich, he became poor. Why? Look at what it says. For your sake. He was willing to empty his account. He was willing to leave his throne in heaven and come to this wicked earth. Why? Because in that pouring out, in that poverty, he wanted us to be rich in him. For it goes on to say, it's for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Donald Trump may be number 324 on the billionaires list, but I want you to know I'm number one for all of eternity. He can't outbank me. He can't outdo it. He can't outbank you if you know the Lord Jesus. For in Christ we are rich, rich in his grace, rich in his mercy, rich in his forgiveness. We are rich. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And quickly, let's tie a couple of loose ends. He was telling Timothy, Timothy, as you preach the gospel, preach this. Verse 17. Be sure that you instruct people that those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on uncertainty of riches, but to fix their eyes on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Verse 18. Instead, instruct them to do good, to be rich. Watch this. To be rich. How are we rich? We're rich in Christ, and because we're in Christ, he says that we're to be rich in good works. There it is, being rich towards God. So many people on this planet, even in the church, spend their entire lifetime building their riches so that their kids and grandkids can fight over it in the end rather than being rich towards God. He said, Timothy, instruct them. Stay focused. Don't let them get distracted by the riches of this world. If anybody needed to hear that, that's the American church. I'm not saying be irresponsible. Don't pay your bills. Don't be worried about those things. Don't let that be the focus of your life. Be rich towards God. And in that context, drop down to verse 20. He would say this to Donald Trump. Hey, Donald, don't be distracted by fake news. Fake news, a term we never even mentioned, even though it's existed throughout human experience, 
It became the buzzword four years ago. Paul was reminding and and warning Timothy about it 2,000 years ago. Look at it, verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble, the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Apostle Paul apparently had a vision of Facebook way before it was ever even invented. Avoid it. Don't fall for it. For by professing, some have swerved from the faith. Fake news, Donald. Be careful. Don't get distracted. That fake news, man, it can cause you to swerve from your faith. There are so many people swerving here and there based on the current issues of life, but is ordained by a Supreme Court or legislated in the land. What's being pushed through Twitter or Facebook or social media, they adapt to the moment and the knowledge that exists currently. Versus looking to the rock-solid truth of life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul warned him and said, there are going to be false apostles. There will be deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles, as good teachers as truth bears, and yet know this, even Satan appears as an angel of light. He loves to propagate his lies that look like they come from God, that look like truth. Isn't that what he did in the garden? He brought them fake news. He took the good news, the simple, pure news that God had given Adam, he twisted it into fake news. Did God say? Is this what he meant? Surely he doesn't mean that. Hey, do And he turned good news into fake news. And he's done it ever since. Donald Trump in the first one to identify fake news. It's always been around seeking to get you to swerve in your faith. What does that word swerve mean? That word swerve literally means to stray off the path. It means to get off target. Instead of hitting the bullseye, you hit the wrong target. And that's exactly where the enemy's trying to lead us, to sway us with fake news. Jesus is all about the good news. Matter of fact, it was declared at his birth. An angel appeared and declared declared to the audience in that moment, Behold, I bring you fake news. What did the angel say? I bring you good news for the Republicans, for the Democrats, for the Americans. No. What did the angel say? I bring you good news for who? All the people. Stay focused on the good news. Stay focused on what I've brought you. I have brought you the gospel, the good news. Now, for the sake of time in the back, we're going to move on and go to the next point. And here's what I think Jesus would say next to Donald. Donald, just because you lose a vote doesn't mean you can't be victorious. Now, I'm not jumping into the political fray. I'm not making a statement that a recount is going to fix it all. I'm not saying Donald Trump's going to be victorious in the end in this particular election. I'm pointing to a different victory. And here's how Jesus would explain it. Donald, you may not be aware of this, but did you know that I was on a ballot one time? Did you know this? Did you know Jesus was on a ballot? Yeah, he ran against a guy. His name also started with a B. Barabbas, Pilate thinking he was clever, Jesus has been arrested, he hadn't done anything wrong, the Jews just hated him, thought he was a false prophet, was blasphemous, and they wanted him destroyed, and so in their loving religion, they wanted to murder this guy. So what did they do? Ballot stuffing. 
ballot rigging. They went around, they paid people money, they rigged the deal, and they rigged the vote. And they, caught, they were able to cast their vote. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And they all cried out. It wasn't split down the middle. It was all skewed to Barabbas. You know much about Barabbas? A murderer? A person leading a revolution against the Roman government? He was the one of the top most wanted criminals in town. And they chose him over Jesus. Jesus was defeated at the ballot box. Jesus was hung on a cross. Jesus was sealed up in a tomb. Done, loser. Let me show you. Let me show you who wins in the end. Go to Revelation chapter 19. He lost the vote. But he's eternally victorious. The votes were cast. The ballots were tainted. Jesus was defeated at the polls. But look at him in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. And I saw a heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he sat on it. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. On his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe, a king's robe. This robe is dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. Who do you think this victorious king is? Lord Jesus. His armies which are in heaven are clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that it may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, his name is written, King of all kings, Lord of all lords, Christ the victorious ones. Well, I thought he died on a cross. I thought he was buried in a tomb. Yeah, he was. But today he is eternally victorious. Now, why does that make a difference? Donald, you may lose a boat on this earth, but you don't want to miss my endorsement. For look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. May lose a boat, but there's still victory. That's why we can sing, Oh, victory in America. Victory in an election. Victory in Jesus. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Not sure what you heard listening in on the conversation. You're like, God, why didn't he do this? Why didn't he hammer him on that? Well, I'll leave that to Jesus. But I do know these would be some of the conversations Jesus would have because it's part of his story. But you know what? Jesus is more concerned about having a conversation with you and me this morning. And as we've listened in through his word, his word goes forth like a sharp, two edged sword, penetrating our hearts and the hardness of our hearts. Penetrating our doubts and our confusion, our depression and our discouragement. Speaking truth, eternal truth, no matter what happens here on earth.
So what have you heard this morning? What is your response? It may be that you've become distracted by all the things of this earth. Paying the bills, trying to stay afloat during COVID. Maybe today you need to recenter and say, man, I need to be rich towards God. I just need to keep pursuing Him. It may be that you don't even... You don't even really know God. You know about God, but you don't know Him. You've never declared bankruptcy. You've never said, God, there is nothing in me that could save me. I need you to save me. If that's you in this room or worshiping with us online, right where you are, I would cry out to God and say, God, I need you. God, I want to receive the riches of heaven, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy. God, I receive the gift of eternal life. The Bible says if you would humble yourself in that way, if you would humble yourself and declare bankruptcy, he would make you rich through forgiveness and grace. You say, it's that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. God has done it all. Be rich in God. But not only that, be rich towards God. Maybe you know Christ, but you've not been rich toward God. Maybe you need to say today, Lord, I move from this place today. God, I'm wanting to be rich in good works, not to earn your love, but because I have your love. I want to share that love. If I have your love, I need to love others. God, I want to do it in your name. God, use me for your glory. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe you need a church family. Maybe you need a place to grow in the word and a place to serve the Lord with other believers. We'd love to have you here at PCBC. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, pour out your riches from heaven. Meet every need here according to those riches which are in glory. God, do it in a very special way right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.